need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't, it's going to fail. You know what X, Y, and Z resorts to? It's not them. It's me. It's them trying to say, hey, you need to go do fix and flip. You need to be private lending. You need to go do development. You need to go invest your money into energy or whatever it is. I walk in and I say, what was your life like? Welcome back to Young Money Mindset, hosted by Luke Carichia and Robbie Holmcross. From, from the ground up, where we talk about mindset, real estate, the hustle, and everything to help you achieve your dreams. Welcome back to Young Money Mindset. We're super excited to have Ryan Zolan, um, a guy that I've been following on social media for quite some time. So it's cool to be in studio with him, uh, multimillionaire, killing it in the real estate real estate game, and uh, super excited to have him on. So Appreciate thank you, you for coming in, man. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate you guys yeah, having me. For sure. So let's just jump straight into kind of the money side of the business. Um, how did you make your first million in, in real estate? Whew. So, I mean, I started off as a realtor. Um, I did a lot of traditional real estate. Uh, my first mentor, I always kind of explain it like I did way too much for a guy at 18, 19 years old. I was doing commercial deals. I was doing business broker transactions. Um, we did about like 60, 70 million before I made my way to the investment side. So obviously 60, 70 million in sales does not equate to a million dollars in revenue. I had a team, I had a partner, I had a brokerage. Um, and I was the type of guy that was willing to discount myself to any measures possible just to be able to get in the right rooms and learn as much as I could. Uh, as for the investment in making the first million, it was all through wholesaling. I mean, through wholesaling. Through okay. Wholesaling. Yeah. And then did you do, because I know at one point you did some some fix and flips as well. Yep. Did you make the first million prior to jumping into the fix and flip game or did you do it after? Because I get a lot of wholesalers messaging us saying, hey, you know, when should I jump into the fix and flip game? Should I focus on wholesaling? Should I be dabbling in the fix and flip? Great question. Um, I was this close before flips. So the flips plus obviously the wholesale, multiple streams of income and still being an agent mixed together got me to that million. Um, I always say that the barrier for wholesale is high active income. When you want to start talking net uh, generational wealth, you want to start talking net worth, you want to start talking about passive income, that's through buy and hold, that's through going in and investing into private lending, that's diversifying what active income you've already made through wholesale. So obviously you're pretty good as an agent then before. So like when you did get into the flip side of it, were you able to fund your own deals from the start? Were you bringing in partners? How did that look for you? Great question. Um, we had multiple. So we had uh, business partners. We had a guy on my team that was running the flips where he was funding it. And then I was going and acquiring it. So the split dynamic actually worked out in our benefit. And I got chewed out by a lot of mentors because it probably should have been a little bit of a more favorite split to myself. But what we were doing was I was finding it, sourcing the deal, and then basically selling it with my team for free on the back end. So we were able to give it at cost. And then the flip side within our team was able to make more money. And then we were able to go and then make more profit. So cherry picking the flips out of there and then wholesaling 100%. off the rest. 100%. Okay. Very cool. And that's kind of a similar position to where you know we're at today is you know cherry picking flips, you know, primarily wholesaling, but also, you know, having that luxury of being able to grab a deal, take it down, take it Absolutely. to the finish line. Um, and then when did you get into like buying holds? Cause I know that's also another thing that kind of ties into that. So yeah. when did you jump into buying your first rental? Can you unpack that for yeah. us? I, so I, it's always weird explaining this one because I have a rental that is family owned, but I was able to source the deal and I get a percentage of it. So like my first rental I actually had before my primary house. Then after buying my house, then we ended up buying another rental. I've got one in downtown Gilbert and then we just bought 16 units out in Tennessee. So uh, it started after I started making some real money, but it was honestly just to offset taxes and to be able to get the benefit of taking my high active income down lower. 
Got it. Okay. And then tell us about the 16 units in, in Tennessee, because yep. that, that's always something interesting. I know multifamily is kind of the craze, right? You see a lot of single family guys, residential. So everybody's trying to get into eventually though, right? And I'd yeah. imagine the, the barrier of entry out there is quite a bit low. What part of Tennessee is it in? Uh, it's a smaller town. So we close on it in a couple of days. So I'm going to try to keep it a little low key, but <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got uh, 16 units, my family members out there. And essentially what it came through was that I've been teaching him wholesaling, agent outreach, all the stuff that we do. He found a local seller. Um, the broker actually was going to be the one to list it. They called. My cousin was like, hey, I think he just wants to sell it directly. The broker didn't want anything out of the deal. So he went to the seller because he already knew who he was, worked out a deal. Here we are. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, so, very cool. And I guess that just shows the power of community as well, Always. right? And that's one thing I wanted to touch on right now with you is like, I know you guys have an awesome community over at Agent Investor. Um, you know, I did get a chance to go over to, you know, your mastermind that you had and just learned a ton, you know, talked to a lot of different community members, spoke with, you know, some of the guys that were on stage that day yep. and, uh, just the value you're providing your community is just incredible. So how do you like as a leader, right? As someone that is providing that value, how are you constantly learning and evolving to be able to pass that along? Um, I think that the biggest thing for me is that there's no ego. So where a lot of people in real estate go wrong is thinking that they're better than they are or thinking they deserve more than they do. And I'm not going to be the guy that ever says what somebody's worth is or what value they bring to the table. But for me, my reputation, as everyone always says, enters the room before I do. So if there was times where I'd walk into a situation and I could put my ego aside and leave it at the door, that leads to more opportunity. So as for being a leader and a teacher, uh, there's a lot of humility. There's a lot of failure. There is no sense of, you know, I closed one deal and magically became an educator. So I ended up doing, I don't even know how many wholesale deals. There's probably about 200, 250 wholesale deals before I launched Agent Investors. And it was all specific to agent outreach and MLS deals. So I didn't go in and again, do direct to seller or take agency deals and then say, I got this. I went in and I focused in on one specific strategy. I focused in on that entirely. And then I was able to go and replicate that and share it and do it nationwide. So um, it's just always evolving. It's no ego, no entitlement. And it's just trying to constantly level up myself. Yeah, to kind of piggyback off of that, I know you were working on a deal with the MBA and it's more of a, an educational thing. So a lot of the things that you're teaching are just through experience. Um, and are you still working on the deal with the MBA then? Yeah. So we're, it got paused a little bit because we're trying not to fumble anything. I don't want to be the guy that goes in that's like, hey, I'm trying to figure this out as I go. I'm trying to go in and say we could do X, Y, and Z. So what our main goal is, it's not even necessarily to go in and partner with a specific league or try to be the face of something. Again, no ego. I'm trying to be the guy that goes in just leads with value. I don't think there's many people in real estate that could walk into a room, sit down at a table like this with some athletes and say, tell me about yourself. Everyone right. walks in and they say, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't, it's going to fail. You know what X, Y, and Z resorts to? It's not them. It's me. It's them trying to say, hey, you need to go do fix and flip. You need to be private lending. You need to go do development. You need to go invest your money into energy or whatever it is. I walk in and I say, what was your life like? What was it like growing up? How did you make your first million? What kind of things do you like about sports? What we can actually unpack is that most of them, they do it because they can provide for their family. Most of the people that I talk to, it's not even really a passion. They're just good at it. They're six foot 10. They're, you know, 200 right. They're good at their jobs, right? They're so you go and do your job. Right? So I want to go in there and I want to problem solve. I want to unpack some things and let's figure out exactly what you're working on and how I could be of service to you. So you're not going in and, and setting out a game plan and a, hey, this is how you take 500,000 and turn it into this. It's more of like a mindset of like, how do you control what you've made and, and continue to prosper in that way then? So it's more just, you're coaching on mindset then more than anything? Mindset, personal development. Um, and then more importantly, teaching them life. Uh, at the end of the day, they only know sports. 
I only know real estate. I have a lot to learn even in the life aspect, but I think together when we sit down, it's a collaborative mentality. So they'll teach me, I teach them very transparently. I like sports, so I get cool experiences. I get to go and hang out with them, but I look at them as an equal. I don't look up to them as like, oh my gosh, I'm a fan. I need to be around this person. Can you go do this, this, and this? I go in and I'm like, hey, what's up? How are you? What do you do? What happens, God forbid, you snap a leg on the next play? Too many of them are out there trying to provide and they're trying to take care of their family, which is a great thing just to make it clear. The downfall is that what they're doing, they're creating wrong expectations and their family is actually becoming a liability. What I'd rather you do, again, this is kind of a narrative, but take a property, take a duplex, go and put a down payment on that property, whatever it cash flows give to the family. So now you've got the asset that's appreciating. You've got the tax depreciation. You've got the cash flow, which you're giving to them, and you've got generational wealth. That is completely different than going and buying a chain and then giving your family 50K a month. Right. Well, I think one thing, and I've, I've never told you this, and I'll, I just wanted to, to fill you in on one thing that I, I noticed early on is like I was in a um, in a, a video call that you were on and that you were doing, like kind of leading this call. And it really ties into the whole partnership because I think a lot of people, you know, in your position, our position, they get to a certain point in their career where they don't want to do the hard work anymore, right? It's yeah. like they get to a position where it's like, I don't want to cold call anymore. I don't want to do open houses. I don't want to go and sit down with these guys. I want to hire, 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 leverage, leverage, leverage. And they just want to sit at the top and kind of pull the levers. And one thing I've noticed, and just from what you've told me with, you know, your potential partnership and doing is like, you want to be the guy, right? That still goes in and still talks with them, right? You're not trying to hire a PR person to go represent your company and go in and sit down with the athlete. You want to be the person that does that. And I think that's one thing that should be really kind of, you know, there should be a spotlight on that, right? I think more people should be focused on, you know, don't always try to work your way out of the business. Like there's something, it's okay to be still in the business, to still be involved, but also have those systems and, For sure. and folks in place. And I mean, I'm very big on who, not how. So I've got a guy on my team, Brandon, that I just always make sure it's very clear. I couldn't do what I do without him in the athlete department. So a lot of the relationships he grew up with, their connections of people within him. Um, I do have some connections myself with athletes, but together we create a very beautiful duo. So Brandon 100% takes the lead on a lot of the athletes things even yesterday I mean he was out with a couple guys that um, just got traded over to the Suns and he was just hanging out with them I wasn't there that's 100% on him but his biggest goal is not even just to go and have the relationship it's to genuinely help them and I think that's different than what most people are doing especially in their world the amount of times that they get pitched 24 or 7 of just you should go do this you should go do that can you come to my kid's birthday party can you come to this event can you go do this charity thing it's not always bad things but when it comes down to it time is money and to them they don't know what they don't know so they're typically getting taken advantage of they're being used they're not getting anything in benefit from it so why wouldn't they be kind of turned away so if we go and we change the narrative, I think it helps. And genuine connection, I think, is regardless of who you are, it's not like, oh, I'm a fan of you. And yeah. there's this weird dynamic. It's always just, like you said, as an equal. And I think they would kind of crave that interaction they or that genuine. It. Yeah. Respect it. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, I mean, most of them are working jobs. It's not like all these guys are superstars making three, four, 10, 20 million dollars a year. Right. Most of them, you know, they're making not, you know, above average salaries, but at the end of the day, they're just humans trying to provide for their family. And like you said, when all you grew up doing was sports, you know, you, you, you miss a lot of the education side because you never cared about it. No financial it didn't matter in college. You know, you didn't have to get good grades. Other people would do it for you. Coach handles it. So they, they never had to, to care, you know, so you're, you're kind of 
opening that door for them. Yep. One thing I tell our guys all the time, and we try to coach on mindset, is like, who teaches you about money? Usually, your parents that don't have any money. Mm-hmm. That's who you learn how you know to it's use the all rich your dad, poor dad. You, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's it's that exact philosophy. So, I guess kind of switching gears a little bit. I'd love to hear more about kind of what kind of kid you were. What was your upbringing like? Because everyone sees the Ryan Zolan today, right? They see the partnerships and the and the, the flips, the wholesaling. Can you unpack like? Not real early on, but like ele- like middle, like elementary to middle, and then like high school, and like what your education background looks like. Yeah. Um, so education wise, no college. Um, I was good in school up until about high school. Um, I think it's kind like of most of us, as you say, right. <laughs> stereotypical. Yeah. Um, I just didn't care. I was the guy that didn't find joy in doing homework or going out and trying to have the best presentation or project in the class. I just wanted to be the guy that was friends with everybody. So. Um, Elementary school, I don't know. I mean, a lot of it changed pretty often. Uh, My family moved us out here from Chicago so that they could start their own business. Um, They went ADK into credit card debt to create a restaurant repair company. Not to go too much in the background, but um, dad was working at a bakery, and he was basically the guy that was fixing a lot of the equipment for them. And so when they started having people come to the um, bakery to fix stuff that he couldn't do, he was the guy seeing the bills. So he was seeing, man, I just fixed that for free, and I'm on a 40K salary. This person just came in, they did something that I could probably have done on my own, and they charged them four or $5,000. What the heck? So, I mean, he was, I don't even know how old, probably late 30s, maybe even probably late 30s, went to trade school, went and learned how to go and basically be a restaurant repair guy. Um, he ended up going, and in the school, they said the best places to go, at, forget all the states, but it was like Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, uh, they need a lot of tradesmen. And so we actually took one trip, came out here, loved it, went home, packed up, and then they took a chance. So there was no family connection out here. There was no money. There was no guarantee. He just went to go create his own job. Uh, my mom was out there door knocking, putting flyers out, trying to find people that had restaurant equipment and or even restaurants that needed to be repaired. So it went from install to maintenance to repair. Um, and then from there, it kind of just took off. So obviously, it takes time for anything in business. They've been doing it now. I think this was their 20th year this year. Wow. Uh, it costed their marriage. So I saw my mom and dad go 80K in credit card debt. I grew up in conversations where it was um, not necessarily employee mentality. It was more of business mindset. It was taxes. It was how are we going to pay down the credit card this month? How are we going to be able to hopefully be profitable? Um, we need work vehicles. We need tools. We need equipment. Their house, my house growing up, became the warehouse. It became the garage. The cars were parked out front. There was ovens from XLT in the garage 24-7 being dropped off by big semi-trucks on a residential road. And then they were taking it with dollies, bringing it into the garage. So I saw the hard work side, um, but I also saw the sacrifice. And the greatest sacrifice to it all was happiness. I mean, unfortunately, that was my dad's second marriage, but I didn't have a sibling. I didn't have um, I don't want to say like friends growing up, but I just distracted myself in sports. So it was big in team mentality. It was soccer. It was baseball. It was karate. Did soccer for like 10 years, did baseball for like six, karate for four and a half years. Uh, pretty much every single day after school, it was who's taking Ryan to practice, who's taking Ryan to karate, whatever the event was. Uh, after that, when I got to junior high, there was some stuff that happened personally with me and the kids that I grew up with where I ended up jumping around some schools on, on top of being moving back from Chicago to Arizona three or four times. So mom and dad, instead of just ripping the Band-Aid and divorcing, they were like, okay, well, let's go back to Chicago, take a little bit of a break, let's go back. So just for perspective, started kindergarten out here, ended it 
I think it was out here, but started first grade in Illinois, ended it out here, started second grade out here, ended Illinois, started third grade out in Illinois, ended it out here. (laughs) So it was like back and forth where it was like I had two sets of friends that kind of knew who I was, but it was always like, are you leaving? Are you staying? I don't know. Kind of was a a difficult, you know, it was environment. That's tough on a kid too. It was. And it was, it was good perspective. I mean, at a young age, you don't even know what perspective is. You just go with the flow. Um, but I, again, going back to it all, I saw sacrifice. So I saw my mom have to basically raise me. My dad was always gone at all those sporting events and stuff. I was the kid where dad was never there. Dad was the guy that always had to go and provide and go do the installs and all that fun stuff. And so when it came down to it, it was not lonely, but I just had to know how to keep myself occupied. So I did that. Um, middle school found my core group of friends, and then I basically grew up with those people. So from like eighth grade on through high school, that's kind of the same people that I still hang out with. Um, even in high school, jumped around a couple different schools. Didn't play sports in high school. I found a different sport, and it was DECA. Um, I always misword this, and girlfriend hates it, but um, it's an organization is what she says. I call it a club. But, um, <laughs> we always thought it was a club. Is? I don't know what it is. I, I know it was... No, I don't. Is I, it, it's not. Or? It had like a an acronym at one point. I don't even know what it is. But uh, essentially, it's a business marketing organization. Oh. So I was the guy in school that was walking around wearing the dress clothes that would go and do what I thought was in super important for everybody. Um, they would take us like district, state, and then I was very good at what I did. So I was able to qualify for international competition. But essentially, they sit you down in a table. It's a room where it's a big conference room where there is probably hundreds of people around you and everyone has different categories and different topics, but then they give you 10 minutes to prep. You have one piece of paper and you go in and you play pretend. So the paper says you are an employee for this company. You are a sales manager for this company. You are this role. This is the problem. You're going into a meeting with your boss or with the district attorney or whoever it is that's higher up in the position that you're trying to get to, and you have to go in and give them a solution. So, I mean, I'd fold the paper. I had resumes. I had pamphlets. I had ideas that I was pitching. It was all pretend, but it was good situational stuff to be able to be presenting and being in those rooms. So I found that I was pretty successful at it. I did like the, what they say was the hardest competition, which was sports and entertainment. And then the last year as a senior, I did a written business plan. So it's like a 20 page business plan, but it kept me occupied. So while I was failing classes, I had a lot of passion and joy in DECA. So that led to um, my very first mentor, my business marketing teacher. He was the first person that told me it's okay if you don't go to college. And I think that's huge even from the standpoint that he was a business guy. It didn't take, uh, hey, you got to go do this, this, and this. And I talk about it all the time on shows and stuff, but like I had counselors, administrators, and teachers that were like, you are going to fail. What I didn't realize even at 17, 18 was how much I was valuing their opinion. But now looking at it, I'm like, why would I be taking financial advice from somebody that this isn't a passion, this is a career for you and you're tapped out at 45K? So you're telling me about finance and what I need to do to be successful, but you're not even happy doing what you do and you're not making that much money. And that's nothing against teachers. I love, love, love and respect teachers. I love education. I hate the school system. And so I think that's what fails most people. I don't know what I did that was lucky enough for all my cards to kind of fall in place, but having the support from that business uh, mentor and then also my parents, it was like, okay, I can figure this out. So I started real estate then at 18, right after high school. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about more kids. I feel like as time progresses, feel more comfortable not going to college. Cause like, I guess our era is kind of one of those generations where 
like we were told that we were told like if you don't go to college right especially like in high school like junior senior year when everyone's getting oh i just got accepted asu or hey i'm going uh, out of state i'm going here i'm going there and you're the kid that's like i'm not going anywhere i'm not going anywhere i'm, yeah, I'm going no, back definitely home what you were supposed to do it and, was and the only reason i did it is because i had no idea what i wanted to do and looking back now if i would have just got my real estate license you know it, it, it's crazy to see where you probably could have done with that extra four years that i wasted away mm -hmm. you know and so you didn't go to college right oh. I mean, I, so I started at KW, I was 18. I was there for a few months. I found a mentor that took me under his wing um, after I had some stuff to offer to him. I was like, hey, I know how to work leads. I know how to work systems. I know how to get on the phone, which most people didn't know how to do all those three. And I said, I don't want anything from your deals. Anything I bring to the table, it's split 50-50. Um, anything you do, just continue to do on your own. So luckily, the connection to the guy was that he owns the Hungry Howie's right across from ASU. My dad takes care of the restaurant equipment. So I didn't have any connections in real estate. I didn't have any help. I didn't have any money coming from family. What I had was connections just from my dad being a business owner. So when I reached out to that guy, he didn't need to take the meeting with me. He very well probably thought he was just going to go have a Starbucks coffee with me, sit down and spit some free game, and then this kid would be on his way. So when I sat down and said, hey, can you mentor me? I think I saw the wheels start spinning at 19 years old. But what I always say just for perspective's sake I didn't go in and say, I want to be partners. I said, I want you to mentor me. Here's what I bring to the table. And I don't want you to change anything that you're currently doing. What I want you to work on is being the best version of Jeff Dorston like you're already doing. You just need to help me on the deals that I bring to the table. So while I'm taking time, the value I'm bringing is that you're taking half my money. And that was after being on a team that, you know, I closed a few deals in my first few months, made a few hundred bucks. And I was like, I could do more on my own. Yeah. So um, where I was going with it all was that even with him being a mentor, he pushed me to go to college. He told me how hard real estate was. He saw what realtors did and the success rate is low. So I did go to a community college. I paid for two classes in cash. <laughs> one was social media and marketing, and then one was business development. The business development, I got 104%. The social media marketing, I got kicked out of. <laughs> so um, yeah, community college was not for me. I tried those two classes. It was something just to keep me busy. But then also as I got out of that, I was able to take a few relationships from the business class. And then I started working part-time while I was trying to get my real estate business up and going. It's funny what you can fail in because social media is obviously a big pillar for you right now. You know, you've got a big following. It's funny yeah. that you can fail a school class in that subject. The, and the now teacher be was thing. a realtor. And I, again, <laughs> I'm not trying to be this guy, but she told me I was going to fail. And so I pulled up her last few sales um, <laughs> in, in front of the class. And I was like, you've sold two sales in the last 12 months. You're on blast, Ryan. What's your name? Yeah. So I just stopped showing up. And then by the last, uh, last attempt of her trying to reach out, she said, I just drop you from the class. And so it was when I was in front of the class and I didn't know anything about branding, social media, or anything like that. I had Ryan Zolan real estate. And it was a logo I made in Photoshop. I thought I was the shit, whatever. <laughs> um, and she's like, oh, you won't succeed in real estate. And so I came back the next class. It was the next week. And I was like, hey, you told me I wasn't going to succeed in real estate, but who are you? Like, and so, yeah, I I mean, it, I definitely don't recommend that. Yeah. I, ego, 18, it was dumb. Uh, but I also realized, again, that was kind of my first eye-opening. I was like, wait, you're older than me, and you're in real estate, and you make most of your money doing this. Huh, interesting. So then it was just more perspective. And I always say now what I think I failed when I was younger and what most people do fail, they're taught to respect their elders. A thousand percent, that's what you need to do. But respect and perspective are different. Respect is what you should do with people. Perspective is what you need. 
So perspective was me being like, okay, well, just because you're older doesn't mean you know more. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you know what's best for me. Just because you're older doesn't mean you know how to go make money or you know how to go do X, Y, and Z that I'm trying to accomplish. So that was kind of the first variation of who, not how, without even knowing the book or anything along those lines. Well, and it's like going back to like looking at results versus just age and wisdom, right? Like there's so many younger people more successful than I, that I, I look up to and take, you know, business advice from. And then there's older people that, you know, I would never, never listen to what they say, but but it's, I guess when you're young, one thing I struggled with, and I'd love to hear your opinion on if you struggled with it was like, when you're early on in business, it's hard to know, right? Real estate, we're, we're blessed that we're in an industry that you can pull numbers and say, hey, look, you know, you've sold X amount in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. A lot of other industries, they don't have that transparency where, you know, it's really perception is reality. You're kind of making a snapshot judgment based on what they're telling you. So did you struggle with taking advice from people or knowing who to listen to and who Always, not to. Yeah, absolutely. And even in real estate, I mean, perception is still reality. Um, I, a lot of the deals we do now are on the MLS, but I have other agents represent me. I have agents on my team do the contracts. So you look up my stats, I do better than the average realtor, but most of the stuff that you see doesn't equate to what we've done in volume. So perception is reality is kind of universal. Um, absolutely struggled with trying to get perspective and advice from the right people. I honestly still struggle with that to this day. So what I've kind of learned and trained myself to do is that life is a buffet. I'm trying to emulate, I think that's the word, a bunch of different people that are out there doing what it is that I want with a specific craft. So for example, I've got some friends that I think have the most amazing marriage. I wouldn't listen to them for business life, but does that mean that I'm just going to cut them out? No, because if I have something to learn from you in life, hopefully what I bring to the table and value is just going to be enough to where I have a seat at the table. So if I can sit down and say, I love how you do this, this, and this with your wife or with your spouse or with whoever, and I respect that, how can I replicate that? You are who you surround yourself with. So if I can take what they're doing successfully in their personal life, I could take what they're doing successfully in their business life. I could take what they're doing successfully in a mix of them. I think that's huge. One thing I've always been kind of curious on, um, and I'm sure you'd have some cool perspective to share on it, is is I had this conversation in the office the other day with a bunch of people. There's probably 15 of us talking about it. But is what is your definition of a millionaire? See, some people will say it's you've made a million dollars. Some people will say you have a million liquid. Some people will say you have a million in assets. And if that's what it is, then we know a ton of millionaires. But what what is that definition for you? To me, it's just net worth. I don't think that what people... I don't know. I don't even think that question. (laughs) That's weird. Uh, I think liquid, if you have a million, great. I think most millionaires that have a liquid million, you're a bad millionaire. Um, That's a fact, yeah. If you've made a million... (laughs) great. How much have you kept? Um, If your net worth is a million, I think that's the status. So what I equate to is based on my properties, based off of cash flow, based off of what I currently have. Just to piggyback off that, like, I I think that is an interesting, like, question, but I I, I think anyone that would disagree with net worth being a millionaire is mistaken because it's like, absolutely. It's like who, who in their right mind is going to leave a million liquid at, especially after we just saw what happened with the banks. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, where, where do you, where keep you store it? At? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> do you just keep a million and like wh- where right under the mattress? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess to, to piggyback even further and really kind of jump into the weeds on like, what would you say is like, you see like the millionaire, um, persona, the ego, I guess, on that end. What would you say about like The Millionaire Next Door? That was a book I recently read that I think really humbled not only myself, but like me and my fiance read it. And it's like, that to me is what the definition of a millionaire is. It's not you live in a big house. It's not, you know, you drive a super nice car. Mm-hmm. It could be your net worth. But like, what does that look like to you, I guess, is the For question. Sure. Um, I mean, just perspective sake, I, I like luxury things. We were just talking a minute ago. I, I like watches and stuff like that. Um, 
I think that for me, it's not even about money. It sounds very cliche, and I hope it just doesn't get the message like misconstrued here. But I want to impact people. Like I take from kind of what Steve Trang did. He wants to create 100 millionaires. I was one of those that he created, and I always kind of give kudos to those that obviously helped me get there along the way. Um, my goal is to provide well over a million dollars in value to those that are in my community and those that are in my ecosystem. So to me, it doesn't even matter about the money. And I think that that comes when you start obviously seeing money and you understand the value of it. Uh, but then it's just a matter of perspective and how much value are you providing? For me, I know in order to make X amount of dollars, I need to provide X amount of value to the marketplace. So whether that is in real estate deals or in coaching or in passive income or in even different business ventures for that matter, I have to go out there and provide X amount of value. So Millionaire Next Door, I love it. Um, I drive a paid off truck. I'm not a big car guy, so I don't really love the whole Ferrari, Lamborghini, anything like that. Um, maybe down the road, but I just don't have the appreciation and even love for it to where it makes sense to go and do that. I think that's a huge liability and a risk. And at any time, it's again, a variable out of my control. I could drive down the street. First off, it lost all its value. Second off, it gets hit by somebody that wasn't paying attention. I'm upset. So why do that? And that's, again, just my personal perspective. But um, I think that millionaire next door. Yeah. I mean, take it easy. You don't need to be the guy. That's how, kind of how my grandfather was. He was the only real connection we had to real estate. And unfortunately he passed away my senior year of high school, but he went and bought a, a couple buildings in downtown uh, Chicago. It was in Roscoe village, kind of by Wrigleyville. He bought these buildings for $30,000. They're worth probably about 1.1 now. Uh, my mom, my aunt are the owners of it. It cash flows like crazy. It's an older building, needs some renovations, but he lived well below his means. He was in the smallest unit inside all, there was four or five, six of them, but he was in the smallest unit. He had a garage, but he was renting it from a neighbor down the street. So he did that so we could have more units, more money, more cash flow. Um, you never would have imagined that he had the amount of money that he did. And that was all just because of real estate. So I think the millionaire next door and the mentality of you just need to kind of be humble, uh, that comes with time. I don't think it's often you find that in the younger people. I think a lot of times when people are young and they find success, they're doing all the stupid stuff. They're blowing it on the liabilities. They're trying to impress people they don't like. I don't think that matters. I agree with you. But like one thing, just a personal being vulnerable here with you guys, like the one thing I struggle a lot with is like you work so hard to do all this stuff. It's like sure. at a certain point, when do you enjoy that? And I, I don't think there is a right answer on that. I don't yeah, think I, it's like, you know, I don't think it's like when you make X amount of dollars, you enjoy it. I think if you could pay for it twice, that's when you do it. I, I think where it. people go wrong is that when they have the credit card and they're like, well, I've got 10 grand in the bank and this is only 11,000. I could pay it off. You shouldn't do it. If, yeah. you, if you can pay for it twice. You could pay for it twice, or the rule I've implemented is if my rental income can pay, yes, can pay it for it. it. Even if your cash flow and your passive income can cover your liabilities, that's called wealth. Exactly, yeah. and that's where I've taken a step back and really realized, and have made the conscious effort to say, "Hey, I'm taking a, a short term, you know, a short term play. Let's say, you know, not buying the expensive thing, or, or you know, yep. foregoing this endeavor." And investing that money to in turn take that reward and, and go enjoy. So 100%. I think that's awesome. Um, one other thing that I really wanted to dive deep on with Agent Investor before we, we move on sure. is I know it's a community um, and I know there's a lot of guys out there. I'm not going to name them by name, but we all know in the real estate industry, there's a lot of guys out there that sell courses. They, there's a stigma around that, whether you fall into that or not. Um, there's definitely a stigma around that, you know, doing that, right? And I think there always has been, but I think really more recently it's gone just to an extreme. Um, and a, one thing that that I really observed was back in June, right? 
our business got hit. I think everyone's business got hit. Mm-hmm. We all kind of slowed down, and that's when the courses just seem to accelerate, right? For sure. <laughs> um, so where I'm going with this is, I guess, and one thing, and I, I really respect, and just to be really clear to our audience, if you need mentorship, if you think, I think Agent Investor is definitely a really good platform, and I know what he's done with his students. So just to lay that out, but I think other courses, other communities maybe aren't, being provided as much value. So how do you judge a community? How do you judge someone that has a course? How, if you're out there listening to our podcast, how do you, how do you pick the the course you want to buy? So, um, first off, you have to see who the person is and make sure that's somebody that you want to try to be like, um, a lot of the stuff where people go wrong in education, it goes back to ego. I think everybody's going to get up there and tell you why theirs is the best. I'm not going to tell you mine's the best. The only thing I ever say that is biased is that I think mine is the best place to start. The reason being is that wholesaling is a very, very big shiny object syndrome. Uh, Absolutely, courses blew up. I don't know if it was right place, right time, or luck of the draw with me, but I launched it April 1st last year. So April and May, we had a huge boom at the beginning. June, we got hit too. We were doing 30, 40 deals a month. So when we launched the course, it's like, holy cow, I want to do 30, 40 deals a month. What ended up happening, which I think was even cooler to the people inside my like top tier course, they saw a different kind of Ryan that the public doesn't see. They see the... How am I pivoting? How am I going and changing part of what we're doing? I stayed true to our business model. We turned off flips. We turned off a lot of the um, excessive spending. We got rid of office. We got rid of a lot of the things that we didn't need and even bad people in the organization. So what I was able to do is take a step back, be vulnerable with the people as to what was going on. But the transparency, I think, made the the cost of the course 10x in value what I was charging. So being able to be behind the scenes with the right people, that was first and foremost. Um, Second, going back to qualifying the people, make sure whoever it is that's teaching first off has actually done what they said they're going to teach you. Second, is that somebody that you want to be like? Because what people don't understand about education, it's typically just proximity. There is nothing that I teach. Well, there's, you know, little nitty gritty secrets and stuff like that. But for the most part, there's nothing that I teach that you can't find on social media, whether that's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, wherever it is. A lot of people teach the same kind of stuff. So what you're paying for is what's the variation? I wasn't the first person to wholesale off the MLS. I wasn't the first person to wholesale with an agent. I think I was probably one of the first to double dip. I did it accidentally, getting a commission and an assignment fee on the same deal, but that's with being a licensed realtor. I was transparent with me learning how to do that. I was transparent with teaching what we do differently than I think most people that teach agent outreach in MLS. But again, going to my um, my background with it, I mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but I didn't go do one, two, three deals and say, guru, I went in and I did like 250 to 250 of those transactions where we made damn near close to a million dollars in revenue without spending a dollar in marketing. All the money that I spent in expense was a waste. I mean, I don't want to say it was 100% a waste. I put it into culture. I put it into what I thought systems were going to be the help. I put it into what I thought different lead ventures and different opportunities could have opened up to. It didn't pan out. But with that said, everything that was the backbone to what I teach with agents and MLS that define me. So now when you start talking to people about who is Ryan Zolan, it's not the flipper. It's not the guy that owns a bunch of rentals. It's not the guy that has a bunch of cash flow. It's the young guy that found success working on the MLS and working with agents. That's my background. And that is brand. I, I think what's difficult, at least that I've found where a lot of people struggle with is 
you don't really know who the person is unless you're having a conversation like For that. For sure. And when you look at the the Instagram page, you look at the YouTube reel, you look or the YouTube short, the Instagram reel, you don't really know who these people it's the highlights. are. And yeah. I feel like now we've gotten to a point where you see it's kind of a meme. It's turned into a meme where it's like, oh, all you need is two hundred thousand in an FHA loan and this, this, and this, and now you're a million. Like, so it's kind of even gone the, the other way. You, you know see what I mean? Making fun of it a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. I think you had sent me one that was like, or so. <laughs> Someone sent me one that was like, that was doing that. So I guess like what you do is, is awesome because you give that proximity to your students. It's not like, Hey, you buy my course and you talk to, you know, 20 so people so in my company. And you're yeah. in it and, and you're yeah. leading from the front, you know, so you're, you're very heavily involved in, and actually talking directly with all your students. Right. Okay. And so, so how does that look for you? Is that, does that daily zoom calls with, with all of your people and just kind of coaching them on what your day to day looks like? Yep. So we just launched a new program, our bronze tier where I love what you guys mentioned. I think most of the guru shit out there is dumb. I think it's bullshit. I don't think it's real. I think most of the people inside communities, you're one of a number. No one talks about the success rate, the paid and full rate being less than 10%. Nobody talks about the fact that it takes six to 12 months to get your first deal. No one talks about the fact that in most of the courses and gurus that teach, you need to have X, Y, and Z additional factors, which are usually more money out of your pocket every month to be able to find success. That's what I think mine is different. I am the guy I can go show you how to do this, working with agents and on-market deals without spending any money. I promote a few uh, softwares, Privy and Batch, where they help me and I use them every single day. But with that said, you don't need it. So I'm the one guy that probably affiliates things too that I'm like, hey, don't get it. Most affiliates say, hey, this is why you need to use it. Make sure you use this code and send me a picture after you've used this code. So I'll take a 10 minute phone call with you. Come on, no way. <laughs> so what I did was I lowered the barrier of entry. We've got a free Discord community where we've got about, I don't even know, 100, 150 messages that are posted every single day, um, like in a general chat. We've got a discussion forum where it's kind of like a chat room and people could go in there, post like it's a Facebook thing and have comments, likes, um, all different reaction kind of things. And then we even have like a send deals tab. So that's our free side. The new one we just launched, our bronze tier, I wanted to obviously, again, make the barrier of entry as accessible as possible, but I also wanted to promote successful students within our community. So there's a guy that we just brought on a couple months ago. His name is Wyatt. He's out in Virginia. This guy blew me out of the freaking water. He shout was, out to you, Wyatt. Yeah, shout out to Wyatt. Dude. <laughs> this guy is an animal. He closed 18 deals in his first four months. So he went in through my diamond tier program, our top tier, and he found success. And so when we started talking more, I got to know him on a personal level. I was like, man, it's not often you find young people that are motivated, good humans, and no ego. So why not find a way to work together. And so the more we started talking, the more we started collaborating, the more I realized this guy needs to be a part of our operation. So he teaches inside Mondays on uh, for our bronze tier. So every Monday people pay like a, it's like a monthly subscription, but they get four calls. So they get access to a private channel in Discord, and then they get access to a Zoom call every Monday afternoon. He takes the lead, he teaches, but he leads from the front and he shows how he did it virtually living in Virginia, 18 deals in Texas in his first four months with wow. the strategies that I taught him in our highest tier program. So the month to month subscription, there's no contract, there's no gimmicks, there's no upsell. It's just what our goal is, honestly, is to get them from bronze to diamond, but also too, as I mentioned, mine's the best place to start. I haven't had this happen yet, but I always put it out there as a disclaimer. If someone were to come in, pay for our month to month thing, get a couple deals and then say, man, I hate Ryan. I hate agent investors. This strategy sucked. I'm prepared for whenever that happens because my goal is that if you say that, 
this strategy just isn't for you. It's not that you went in and spent all this money and time and didn't get anything from it. You were able to go in and after even four months, five months, you've spent less than $1,000, which most of the courses out there are around 10 grand, but four or five months, we've shortened the learning curve. You're out of pocket minimal. And then from there, you could evolve. You can go do fix and flips. You could go do buy and hold, private money lending, creative finance, whatever it is. Well, and one thing too, and I mean, I know you don't know me really on a real, real personal level, but I would like to think that you a little bit, you know, we've talked handful of times and like, I'm pretty skeptical, I guess, in nature, like I'm pretty skeptical of like who I, I really pay attention to. And one thing that hit me is going to that mastermind and just seeing, you know, the Asian investors there, right. That have flown all, all across the country to be there. I think it was just like a wake up call in my sense of like thinking like, you know, the courses were definitely working to, you know, right. There's value in it. And, and I think that that can't be argued. Is it going to work for everyone? Like you said, no. And I don't think any course will, I think really where it comes down to is the value exchange for the amount of money you're paying. And if, if the cost of entry is extremely low, and I think the value is there. I, I, I think it's hard to lose as the consumer. Well, and that's the biggest thing where I get passionate and worked up about it is that people spend what money they don't have and they call it a Hail Mary. This is a miracle. And a lot of times the guys that have the courses, they have sales teams. They have people that come in there and they paint the picture. They paint the dream for them to understand that you could go and do this. And then they replicate or they try to say you could go replicate X, Y, and Z that were my successful people. That doesn't cut it in 2023. If people aren't telling you it's going to take you twice as much work to make half as much money in this current year, they're full of shit because it does. It takes that much money. So going back to like schedule, Monday is that. Wednesdays I spend with my diamond tier students, my top tier. And then Fridays I do one-on-ones. And I think that's one of the other things that separates me. I'm willing to put aside a part of my day, one day a week, every week consistently to basically sit down with them for 30 minutes. I've helped people hire and fire. I've helped people structure their company. I've helped people submit offers, talk to agents. Some people just want it to be like a therapy session and just talk. I always try to set the expectation, be valuable uh, with your time and be respectful of mine. So if we can go in there and set that expectation, I don't want to see you every week if you're not taking action. I want to see you every week when you have problems and questions and you need help walking through them and you either weren't able to make it to our Wednesday call or you're too shy or embarrassed or it's something personal to you that you feel like you need my handholding to get the answer. So we do that and then we do twice a year masterminds, once in May and once in November, um, free access for my Diamond Tier students. So it's a lifetime access. Um, obviously, I'm young, so my intention is that they're going to grow with with me. They're not a number in my community. They're somebody that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have a genuine relationship and conversation with. And I want to help you grow, whether that is, again, with our strategy or even just connecting you to other pieces in the industry. What we have had happen is not people say, Ryan, I don't like you. Ryan, what do you know about mobile home parks? What do you know about private lending? Who's your go-to for creative finance? Who's your go-to for buy and hold? And then I go to them very openly and say, I'm not the best at it, but so-and-so is. I can vouch with this person, this person, or this person. Or they'll come back and they'll say, what do you think of this opportunity over here? I'll say, you know, it's a great question. Let me look it over and then schedule a one-on-one. We'll go through it together on Friday. So... So you've got you've built this community. Obviously, you've crushed it these last seven years. Your community is somewhat small right now. Um, at some point, though, if it keeps growing, do you ever feel like it, it could outgrow you being able to do those one on ones? Are you being able to take care of your diamond plan people? Yep. Like where where do you see this being in the next five years? Is, is it a big coaching company, or is it? Great are you question. wanting to keep it small and in house? So kind of tying it back to the athletes, um, we. As I was going through education, I started to realize the scheme behind it. And I always kind of make it as easily consumable as possible for people to understand that maybe aren't investing in education or don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. 
most of this time it's a label. It's like a title. It's like a, a label company and a record company. There is the label who owns all the records, and then there is the talent who is the person that creates the product. Well, most people inside the education business don't own the label company. They have a percentage of whatever revenue that comes from the product. Well, that's great because they don't have to worry about the sales calls, the overhead, the marketing, the systems and processes, all the onboarding, the community fulfillment, all that. I get it. For me, I couldn't justify the percentages because it's very similar to what most record labels do. It's like, a, I don't even know, like a, you walk away with like pennies on the dollar. It doesn't make sense. Right. So what I did was I created the label. I went and created generational assets. This is something we've been working on for like about the last year now, and we haven't even really gone like too public with it. I put a couple posts out, but it's kind of just been under the radar. So I'm actually kind of talking about this for the first time in a show. Uh, but essentially what I want is affordability. I don't want someone taking their life savings and taking a chance. And then after six to 12 months, which is what the normal time it is to get your first deal, they've lost everything. I have to sleep at night and I've helped, I don't know how many people in real estate and I've seen and I've heard horror stories about people that are, even a couple days ago, there's a guy on my team that was telling me, he's like, hey, I talked to someone that wants agent investors, but they're like 50K in credit card debt. You know what I told them? Don't buy it. You know what most people would say? Oh yeah, tack on another 10. Make it 60. Yeah. Consolidate <laughs> your debt and actually we'll, we'll, re- we'll get it, we'll it, all, on one, get it yeah. all on one bill for you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I, um, I want affordability. I want there to be the millionaire next door where somebody could come in that is the expert in their field that I can vouch for, that I know is a good human, ideally someone that has a lot of runway to grow with us. But then I could say, if you want to learn anything in real estate, I got you. Generational assets hover over real estate. You'll scroll down. You'll see there's agent investors. Right now, our second product, which we're working on is Mavro. Mavro is Anthony Pappas. Shout out to him, land guy. Uh, launched a free course. He's got over 650 people that signed up in his first couple months. That's more than I've gotten agent investors. Granted, it's a free course, free community. But our whole goal was that the narrative around land is all bullshit. Everything that's being taught in land, he's gone through most of it. It's not real. It's not. And one thing, too, after hearing Anthony talk, man, I I implemented some of his stuff, like the overlays and all the stuff he talked about. It's brilliant. Commercial, residential, just his mind, man, works like on a different He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met, and I've been fortunate enough to call him one of my best friends. I go to dinner with him and sometimes with his fiancée, Kristen, uh, every now and then, but it's like usually once a month, him and I are at least at dinner, lunch, something, just hanging out. Yeah, and I think he spoke, what, 30 minutes an hour at your your event, and I mean, just the value he provided, like... For free. Was Yeah, (laughs) for free. So Um, so you're giving a platform for, for people like yourself then that have this success to go on and start coaching people, people. That, that are and, not known that need to be yeah it's so not, getting into different subjects essentially right is kind of how you're explaining it is so like if you're in this lane you might as well coach that right it's going to start in real estate it's going to be with the experts of their specific field so it's not going to be the person that's like let me tell you why i'm the best and why you need to bow down and bring me all your deals piss off no it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be i'm gonna show you how you could go do your own deals if i'm a part of any of them awesome what yeah. i don't care about is money that i'm making i make my money practicing what i preach the people that i'm going to be putting on the platform make their money practicing what they're preaching you want to know why anthony's course hasn't come out yet dude's building a company dude's building a brand he's already known as the land guy and i could vouch for him all day long when it comes to land i would put him up against anybody else in the industry with land and i think he's going to beat them if he doesn't he's giving them a run for their money and i would say the exact same thing for me with agent outreach and mls if i'm not the best 
I'm giving whoever it is a pretty damn good run for their money. Love it. So I want all those people in real estate, and then we branch out. Then it becomes financial literacy. Then it becomes, how do I invest into stocks? How do I invest into, um, like, for example, my financial advising company? How do I go create an LLC? How do I go have a bookkeeper? How do I go and create an actual business? Then Private it, equity. Exactly. Yep. So it's going to lead to a financial literacy platform down the road. And then in a perfect world, it's going to compete against trade schools and colleges. So when you're out of high school, you're 18 years old, don't go get a $40,000 loan. Go and invest $500 to $1,000 into a financial literacy platform that will give you X, Y, and Z to get started. Here's how you create an LLC. Here's how you understand what basic terminology of a return on investment, net operating income, profit and loss. Here's how you can go in and create active income. If you want to go learn real estate, it's over here. If you want to go learn stocks, it's over here. If you want to go learn how to do crypto and NFTs and all of that, if it's legit down the road, over there. So <laughs> yeah, we don't know yet, I guess. Yeah, we're still figuring that one out. I'm really it's good at losing new. money in that. Way so, too new. So I'm not the guy, but I could show you all the different ways that like you could go in there and be a self-made entrepreneur. I think, again, going back to educational system, failing people, it's because they don't have options. They go in and they're thinking that they're supposed to do it. Who's going to be the Dave Ramsey of, of generational assets? Who's going to be the guy in there? Is it, Are you going to have the guy in oh, generational man. assets that's going to be like anti- like anti-debt, like, hey, guys, like, go out there. And you know, it's, it's tough because, like, at the age that I'm at, I can only expose myself to so much. And where I make my primary focus is the people that have invested into me. And then obviously those that are in my operation and then those in my close circle. So as I'm fortunate enough to be on shows like this and out on stages and even traveling around meeting with the athletes, I'm going to be introduced to a lot of very, very amazing people. And so as I find those people, I will make sure to vouch them. Um, I will make sure to make sure they're accredited, all that fun stuff. Um, but then we'll bring the right people in. It's yeah. it's a marathon, not a sprint. My goal, if I had to give you a time frame, is about seven to 10 years. Seven to 10 years, I want this to be up and going, competing against teachable um, masterclass, all those. I mean, you can go on there and find Steph Curry teaching you how to shoot a basketball. That's awesome if you want to spend whatever, 100 bucks to go learn how to do that. The odds of you being able to do that also depend on your physical skill. What I want to show people is how they can go and do things with literally no information or no background in business or real estate, and I can just give them the blueprint. Very cool concept. Sweet. So it sounds like, you know, Agent Investors is an awesome, awesome community, and I think there's a lot of value to be said on that. Um, what are you doing right now? What does the makeup of your team look like? What does your organization look like? Yeah, and, great question. Um, so um, I learned that I need to do disposition. So um, I have the relationships, so I'm the one that can sell the deals. We had a deal actually even that just closed today that we thought we had a deal locked up. It was supposed to be like 80, 90K rip ended up making like $5,500. But the thing that ended up saving it was that the guy we thought we we're going to be able to sell the deal to, um, it was a friend of a friend, wholesaler guy, and he couldn't come through on the deal. He told us he could, signed the assignment, non-refundable earnest money, never deposited it, never closed on the deal, just kind of ghosted us. I was fortunate enough that through the relationships I have and disposition being one of my skill sets, I was able to save the deal. It's only 5,500, but a deal's a deal. And more importantly, when I tell somebody I'm going to close on it, my reputation is going to be what withholds. So I do dispositions. My girlfriend does transaction coordination, administrative work. I kind of just explain like life assistant, anything and everything right now. When I was just checking during that break was we had uh, Cox internet going to fix the stuff at the house. So she's like, got this all figured out. Got this, this, this. You have a meeting coming up afterwards. You got this going on. What do you want for dinner? I'm like, oh my God, I love it. What you. a beautiful thing. <laughs> I love wow. you. I love you. Yeah. Like, I love you. Just handle it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so 
life assistant, Amber, myself, dispositions. <laughs> I've got three acquisitions guys, and then uh, I've got a couple salespeople for uh, community and education stuff. But even then, I always tell them, like, the salespeople just kind of tee it up, and they handle a lot of the texting. By the time it makes it to a phone call, I actually have a lot of the people to do my acquisitions be able to go in throughout the day whenever they've got free time to answer any of those calls or scheduled appointments. The reason being is that what better way to get transparent answers than from the people that have directly learned and worked with me um, without it being obviously a huge distraction. So I say all that also leading into we did nine deals in the last six days. So it's not like production is not there. We're not trying to be the guys that are just saying, go do this, 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 this. And we're not actually practicing what we preach. So nine deals is a mix of Arizona and Florida, MLS and agent outreach. Um, So we kind of just keep lean. We stay quiet. Um, My buddy Templeton says this, and I love his quote, but he said that his quote of the year is uh, high margin, low noise. And so what I like about that is that if you are talking about low noise, that means you're not going on social media trying to be like, this is why I'm the best. And this is what you have to do. Yes, I run ads. I have marketing. I do shows like this. We post clips. But my entire focus isn't even content. I don't like social media. I think it's all fake. I think it's the highlight reel. What I want to do is show the transparency. So I could do that in my community. I could do that with the people that are in our ecosystem. And when they believe in me and they trust in me and they could see our proven track record, thank you. Let me show you why this is awesome. And so that's our entire goal and focus. Um, It's a mix of agent investors doing deals. And then we have multiple streams of income from rentals we've got, from uh, private lending. And then we've got some flips that we do here and there. That's awesome, man. And I, I agree with you staying lean and mean. I think social media can definitely be, you know, smoke and mirrors. I Always. think everyone, everyone knows that. I guess really the thing I struggle with too is like when you do see like, let's say a disposition company, for example, right? There's sure. tons of them out there. Um, you know, what are you able to do that maybe a smaller wholesaler isn't able to do? Because from one wholesaler to the next, right? It's like everyone's trying to build their own buyer's list. Everyone sure. wants to say, dude, send the deal to me. I can get it sold. Yep. So I guess is it years of experience and building the, the, the buyer's list? Or is it just being around the right people that feel comfortable transacting with you? Is it a mixture of both of those? Yes. So it's definitely a mix of both. Um, there was a guy inside of one of our coaching calls yesterday. It's like, Ryan, you sell deals because you're Ryan Zolan. I'm like, Maybe. Yes, maybe. But also, too, it's called value. It doesn't matter if it's a relationship that I've had for years or if it's uh, someone I just met today. Uh, this is called business. So as long as they find value in whatever it is, my catchphrase is that the hardest part of being a realtor is to find a client. The hardest part of being an investor is to find a deal. So if the investors are trying to find deals and I have said deal, it's called value. It works. Yep. So um, disposition, I actually go kind of contrary to what most people teach. I don't believe in a big disposition list. I think disposition works in wholesaling if you are a company like even Keegley. Keegley has got an amazing model for dispositions. But I also utilize companies like that in my last few days of my inspection. That's my Hail Mary. Too many times where people mess up within wholesale is that they go in and they try to get deals done without having a buyer's list. So they get a property under contract and then their sole focus is to rely on a disposition house. That's not. That's actually, in my opinion, why I think wholesaling is getting the bad rep. It's because there is no regulation. There's no requirements for you to follow guidelines. There's some states that have specific things, and fortunately, Arizona's finally starting to get on board with it, House Bill 2747. Mm-hmm. But what I like to see is that if people could go in there and build genuine relationships, it's like even right now, you and I could have a conversation about what is like your perfect wet dream deal. If I were to find a deal for you right now that you would buy today, what is it? You would tell me X, Y, and Z. I'd say, okay, sounds good. What am I going to do? I'm going to relay that to my community. I'm going to relay that to my team. I'm going to make sure everybody knows I've got a buyer, not going in and lying and saying, I am a buyer. I've got a buyer that's looking for this. I've got a buyer looking for that. I've got a buyer looking for this. By the way, myself being a buyer, I am looking for this too. 
So the biggest question I always get for people that are newer is, Ryan, I don't have the flipping experience. I don't have the rentals. I don't have the connections you have. I can't do this. I've been more open now changing the narrative. I've never seen anybody do this. I've been calling people on live shows and in my community saying, hello, my, my, my name is Ryan and I'm, I'm a wholesaler. Just to show people that the narrative doesn't even make sense, that you could go in and tell people you're a wholesaler and still get deals. Where I'm going with it all is that it's genuine relationships and value being provided. So what I have as a buyer's list is like 50 people. And out of 50 people, it's really like realistically, probably about 10 to 15. I was going to say that's really similar to ours, right? We have the big email list mm -hmm. that no one ever buys on. <laughs> we have, um, I was talking to a guy the other day and he's like, dude, I've never bought a deal from an email list ever. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we have the, the email list, we have the VIP buyer text list. We all call it VIP. We all just know it's a, a, a text it's list. Honestly, exactly. Most wholesalers. Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah, a handful of folks, you know, probably between 20 and 40 really solid guys, but then it all boils down to 10 to, you know, really 10 to 20 that are yep. actually buying deals. I guess for the for the the wholesaler out there that is trying to find those 10 or 20, would you recommend them sending the deal to someone like you or me or Robbie that can actually get them connected and then trying to go around you and go to the end buyer? Because we see that a lot. We see, right. you know, you've posted on your, your list, hey, send me a deal, right? I've had so many guys send me deals and then I sell it and then they're like, oh, who's the buyer? And then they try to go get the buyer. Yep. So what do you, and it's, you know, it's fair game at the end it of the is. day. And it's, I it's great because I think that if I had to give you what the ethical, moral, what you should do kind of thing, when you bring a deal, like let's say I'm a newer wholesaler, I bring it to you. If I bring the deal to you and you bring it to a buyer, what I shouldn't do is go to that buyer. What ends up happening 90% of the time, which people, again, don't talk about, that buyer comes to me. That's when I think it's fair game. When the buyer comes to you and says, hey, not that we say cut out this guy, but when the buyer says, hey, I just paid an additional 10K that that eats into my profit, that might have made or broke the deal. Why not have you just send me deals? That's when I think that the name of wholesaling kind of just becomes a community. Well, in that right there, what you just explained is exactly how I've built my buyer's list. Yep. I've never, ever been a guy that will go out and get, but I'm always the direct holder. For I sure. don't do any co-wholesaling. Every deal we get is direct in-house yep. or it's sent by someone that we have a really good relationship with that we know sure. we're direct on. And there's no middleman to that. And the buyer end up ends up going around yep. some of the bigger companies. And that happens all the time, dude. Like literally on every deal we do in Arizona, there is not one case I could tell you out of even those nine deals we've done in the last like whatever week that I could tell you where we haven't been contacted by somebody in the transaction. Ironically, most of them was actually one of the other wholesalers because in Arizona, you usually have three or four on it. But <laughs> we, we, had, uh, we had a number of them that came to us that were like, hey, how'd you acquire the deal? And I was like, oh, that's new. Interesting. Yeah. Agent outreach. And they're like, oh, what's that? I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. Where, where are you? Like, yeah. let's talk. So I think that what it comes down to is 10% of the people do 90% of the business. And if you understand that 10% know each other, don't be surprised when you wholesale a deal and it gets wholesaled to somebody you already knew. Don't get upset. Don't let the ego go there. Just understand you asked for a price and you got it. Where it usually gets frustrating for people that are wholesaling is when this wholesaler talked you down in price just to insert their fee in to be able to bring it to a buyer you knew. So if you can understand the value in that is that when someone brings you a deal, it's a yes or no, or I may have somebody else interested. Let me see what I could do. That's what the conversation needs to be. It's value. It's going in, telling people transparently, I'm not the buyer. I have somebody interested. Are you okay if I send it to them? And that only works. I, I tell, you know, wholesalers come to us all the time. I tell them 
the I, I'm the buyer only works one time, mm-hmm. right? Once you burn, a wholesaler is saying that you're the buyer and you go wholesale it. Yep. Purely no, relationship. Exactly. No, well, yeah. And then no one believes you're actually the buyer because yeah, sure. the last deal you did, you you were wholesaling it. So it's, it's the safest position to be is when you are a disposition wholesaler and the expectation is that you're just going to help them disposition the deal. So that's where I think the disposition model is phenomenal. But what people need to understand, it is all relationships and it's all branding. The it's, more... Yeah, not to cut you off. It's not taking, and I'll I'll be the one that says it, it's not taking Keegley's list and reblasting that out. Yeah, and I think it goes not even just for Keegley. I think it's for every wholesaler out there. I mean, the amount of people that were daisy chaining became a thing is that you get a property sent to you in an email, you see the email, you mark it up 10k, and you send it to your email list. That's the problem. It doesn't matter who the company is. I think that if you can go into that company and say, hey, I think the numbers work on this. I have someone interested. Can I wholesale to them? Can I send it to them? It's asking for permission. And I will give the huge shout out to Jamil Damji on this. He's the one that taught me that in Astro Flipping. It's not even necessarily having the JV agreement. It's getting a text in writing with just permission. This is relationships. This is transparency. This is just providing value. And piggybacking off of the transparency thing, you just mentioned Bill. Can you talk a little bit about some of the regulations and things that you're starting to see Arizona implement? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think that what ends up needing to happen down the road, I think you're going to need a real estate license to wholesale in every state. In Arizona, the additional clause addendum just got extended. It'll be, I think it's in July, it'll be coming out. And so in July, there is a new addendum that you have to be signing that specifies it's kind of stupid. It shows you that realtors don't understand wholesale, but you have to sign off your initials, the buyer and the seller saying, I'm a wholesale buyer or I'm a wholesale seller. I'm like, I don't really understand what the difference is, whatever. So there's that addendum. There's also the fact that you have to disclose just in writing, Hey, this is what my intention is. And then third is that the house bill is going to be going after people that don't disclose properly. So if you go in with the intent to wholesale, it just needs to be stated. And I think that's fine. I started a new show where on Tuesdays I'm with batch and it's literally called Agent Outreach Live. Today I went in, I'm like, hey, I wholesale, I do this, I do this, I do this. There was a, one agent today that was like, ah, no, I'm not your person. Cool, that's fine, move on to the next. There's 40,000 out here. And sometimes a win is getting off the phone as quickly as possible. Of course. And people, more people, I coach our guys on it all the time. If that is that agent, get off the phone, get on to the next call. For sure. Because that ultimately compounded over time is gonna be that differentiator between your success and another person's. Like, For sure. Being able to get off the phone and, and, and call that next agent and get a deal or, or dispo or whatever you're doing, I think is really something that's helped my career a ton. So staying on that, I know regulations coming out, Arizona's changing. Um, I know a lot of people, the buzzword is wholesaling virtually. I have never done it. I don't have experience in it. Um, I've just stayed here in my backyard here in Phoenix. It's what I know, yep. what I like. What would you tell a person like me that does want to maybe do a deal in Florida or Texas? Yeah, so I think that first off, you need to have the buyers. You need to have relationships lined up. Buyers first is always the mentality that I teach. Um, You go in there and you have to qualify them. You have to find out, are they wholesaling? And it's not bad if they do. I'm not like a couple brokerages that I won't name that you can't go in there and wholesale deals, but they're wholesaling. So what I'm going in and doing is I'm telling people, I just want to know what your buy box is and I want to see your last few deals. That eliminates the fact that if you're a wholesaler, you can't provide <clears throat> you can't provide your last few deals. So if they go in and they say, oh, well, this is my partner's deals. Awesome. This is called expectations. So now when I send a deal to you, it's not the expectation that you're going to buy it. It's the expectation that you have a buyer. So first off, have your buyers. Second, understand your market. You need to know the market research. In Arizona, your backyard, you know if you cross this street over here, bad. You know over here in this pocket, specific people will buy this. You know over here, we've got this specific buyer or investor or wholesaler that has amazing relationships. So you've got to find those pockets and know where people are trying to be, what's desirable, what's not. And then from there, then we start worrying about the acquisition. I think if you can reverse engineer the process first, it makes it so much easier to follow that anybody could do it. 
I barely passed high school and yes, seven years in, I hopefully sound good at what I'm doing. But if people don't understand from when I first started wholesaling to where I'm at now, night and day. So what it came down to was failure, trying different things and them not working, but then understanding what the fundamentals were. Finding a buyer first, understanding your market, and then knowing what strategy for acquisition. So agent outreach, MLS, direct to seller, JVing deals, co-wholesaling. Um, there's all different strategies. You just got to find what works for you and more importantly, what works for your buyers. Would you say agent outreach is less than other states yes. compared to? Okay. Because yes. I can't tell you how many agents I've talked to in Arizona that are like, I get 20 of these calls now. Mm-hmm. F this guy named Ryan Zolan. <laughs> just full <laughs> what, transparency. What, what start? <laughs> uh, sure. But like, you know, and it's all love, right? It's just, you Dude, know, whatever. I call people now in Arizona and they're like, oh, you're the guy. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. You're like, yep, I am that <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. No, but RIP to your phone. <laughs> it's cool and it's not. And it's, so it's like, it's cool when I, I, I go that extra mile and I show them, like, can I show you how to do it? So I've got my own like pitch now to be able to get out of that. Yeah. But what I can tell you, shout out to Tampa. Tampa is what Arizona was 2019, 2020 before the boom. So right now, I mean, there was a deal. We got 150K off list price. There's agents that we reached out to. Today I did Tampa on uh, Agent Outreach Live with Batch. Amazing conversations. Very first phone call I made, girls with offer pad. She's like, I've got two. Call me next week. I'm like, huh. Cool. So it's just like it's showing people that you can go and do this strategy anywhere across the, the country. We've got students that literally came to the mastermind in November last year that lost his job the day before the mastermind started. Shout out to Sean Tucker. This dude lost his job, came to the mastermind since November of last year to even May of uh, whatever, May 26th of this year. He texted me the day before the mastermind started this year. And he's like, hey, next week, I'm going to be a millionaire. So he went from losing his job to making $1.1 million in everything we taught him in California doing only agent outreach. All that said, we've got a guy in Miami, which everyone knows Miami and wholesaling. This dude, check, crushed it, did 91 deals wholesaling off the MLS. So we've got agent outreach on one side of the country. We've got MLS on the other side. It goes to show you everywhere in between, just find what works for you. And do you need to go be the person that does 30 to 40 deals a month? Absolutely not. The minute you start comparing yourself to other people, one, you've already lost the game, but two, you've set unrealistic expectations, especially within this strategy. If you close one deal a month making 10K, it's $120,000 a year. That's six figures. Why is the average income in this state or this country for the matter, $50,000? And that might even be on the high side. So 50K is what people make going and putting in a nine to five. You could go make 120 with one deal a month, one deal. Now the only challenge you have left is offset your taxes. That's it. You can some fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's uh, uh, that's huge. I, like, I mean, not only just the success, but like you've seen a lot of different people fail and succeed. Everyone talks about the guys that crush it. Give us a little bit about a student, someone that's come in that has failed, sure, and what you've learned from that. Um, first off, going back to comparison, you can't do that. So um, it's perspective again. I've been able to be in rooms where I've seen guys go and make a million dollars and then cheat on their wives. Um, I think it goes down to uh, the saying is that money only amplifies. Um, I've been in positions where even myself failing, I've lost friends in the industry. I lost one of my best friends. I've seen things that the good, the bad, the ugly, what it comes down to is what I'm in control of, which is my actions, my thoughts, and my feelings. So if I can control all of those things, it is what it is with the rest. Um, I was just with uh, one of my buddies, big traditional team, and he was telling me, he's like, just let it be. He said, that's my motto of the week. Just let it be. Whatever happens, let it be. If they're upset, let it be. If they're jealous, let it be. If they're happy for you, 
let it be. So failure, I think if anything, failure is probably the best learning lesson and it's the best perspective you could get out there. Uh, I'm not saying the perspective from seeing guys cheat on their wives or wives cheating on their husbands or doing some hardcore drugs or throwing what could be their entire career in the drain over a quick 30 second satisfaction to a 30 minute satisfaction. I'm not saying that's worth it, but it's good perspective for me to be able to say, one, everybody's human. Two, that's what I don't want to be like. I don't want to be the guy that walks in the room that everyone's like, oof, he did this. I want to be the guy that walks in the room that everyone's like, oh, that's Ryan. Cool. I don't even need the guy. I don't need to be the guy when I walk in people like, oh my gosh, this is him. This is him. I want just to be the guy that walked in, that stayed true to who I am, that did the right thing always. And I took care of the people around me. That's all I care about. So specific examples, I feel like for the sake of the people, I'm not going to go through anything and naming people or anything like that, but um, just perspective, I think. So just perspective on, you know, what to do, what not to do, really. I mean, the right and and wrong, I I think that's awesome. And I think, you know, that's one thing we focused on a lot is just not being the most well-known or the, the liked person, but really just being true to who we are. And that's all really you can be. You need to be really good at one thing in real estate. And I don't know why people don't talk about that either. Everyone, again, says they are the best wholesaler, fix and flipper, creative finance developer, whatever it is out there. And it's like, holy cow, I know you do nothing. Like, <laughs> yeah. like when somebody goes in there to say, oh, yeah, I'm a wholesaler. I'm like, oh, cool. What, what do you do? Like, what strategy? Oh, I do agent outreach. Nice. Yep. Oh, okay. I do direct to seller. I do door knocking. I do this. Beautiful. Let's have a conversation. Let's just talk about it. Well, and to take that further and we can, you know, in conclusion here is like, I think being good at one thing, but also being good at one thing. Like for us, it's cold calling. Mm -hmm. That's how we get business, right? It's not like we're doing direct mail, cold calling, social media. Like all of this is just ancillary. It's not even something we focus on. Cold calling is how we get deals. Mm -hmm. That's our one pillar. So it's the one thing we do but it's even more niche down to that one pillar. Of and I business. think it's what you just said. I mean, it's maybe even taking a step further. It's not being just good at something. It's being great at one thing. And I love Walter Payton said this. It was a great quote. It's if you're good at something, you're going to tell everybody. If you're great at it, they're going to tell you. And so what you guys are great at is cold calling. What I've been told I'm great at is the MLS. That's what my reputation is. I'm great at agent outreach in the MLS. So I think that if you can understand that you need to be great at just one or two things, Stop trying to go and overcomplicate things. Stop trying to be the best person in the room. Again, if you can understand the root of it all, you'll understand that most of it is stemmed from either insecurity, ego, or entitlement. So if you can wipe all of those out and create good fundamental core values, this is called respect. This is called trust. This is called ambition for a lot of people. This is called balance. This is called going out there and doing the right thing. If you have all these kind of things, and I'm not telling you what you need to have to go and be successful, but if you could put aside all the negative and stop comparing... I think people just need to be patient. And I understand too, you get into the industry, you've got variables, you've got kids, you've got bills, you've got college debt, you've got car debt, credit card debt, whatever it is, get a job. No one says that. Get a freaking <laughs> job. Dip your toes in the water. Maybe end up in my bronze tier course, whatever. <laughs> dip your toes in the water, be in something where you're not breaking the bank, but you're in the proximity. That's what you need to be paying for. That's what you need to be around, regardless if you're even paying for it. You need community. You need collaboration. You need people that are actually going to give a shit about you. And that's what everyone talks about with legacy. Legacy is going in and understanding that when you're all said and done, you're going to die alone. So if you're going to die alone, what do you care about what was left over from you? For a lot of people, it's generational wealth. For a lot of people, it's going in and hopefully it was the memories and the experiences and it was how you made people feel. For me, it's about how many people I impacted. How many people when I pass away, God forbid if it's even soon, but like I want for people to be like, man, Ryan, he changed the game. He was the guy that disrupted the industry. He was the guy that did X, Y, and Z that nobody else did. That's what I want. So 
I think people just need to have some real conversations with themselves. Um, look yourself in the mirror, journal, find whatever your outlet is, meditation, yoga, working out, find out what that is, stay true to it. Don't get distracted by all the shiny objects and just focus in on one or two things. I love, I love it, it, man. Take action. Yeah, absolutely. Love I love it. it. And, um, you know, in, in conclusion, I just really appreciate your time today coming in, dropping knowledge. Yeah, dude, bombs yeah, I learned us. a lot. I think our viewers are going to learn a lot. It was great. Really yeah. appreciate you coming in. Of course. Cool. I appreciate you guys having yep. me. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Catch Make on the next sure you one. guys stay tuned to Young Money Mindset. We're going to be here dropping a podcast for you guys probably biweekly. Don't hold us to it. We're trying to really stay consistent <laughs> on our schedule. But as you know, things happen. So we appreciate it, guys. Have a great day and kill it. Appreciate you guys.